it's Jane Alexander here, the host of the Leadership Stream of the Women Count podcast, and I'm here today with my co-host, Charmaine McGowan. We're kicking off the Leadership Stream of the podcast with the amazing Sharla Arshi, a high-tech industry veteran with extensive technical, management and business experience. Sharla worked for Intel for over 30 years in a variety of technical and business leadership roles in the early days of tech development in Silicon Valley. More recently, Sharla co-founded Job Pairing, a startup that supports women to find and even create flexible roles that fit in with their busy schedules and family lives, as well as co-founding Women in Big Data, a global organisation that supports greater than 18,000 members with 41 chapters in over six continents. This is a remarkable range of achievements and work that reaches out to women across the globe and supports us to thrive and stay engaged in the tech industry. This all started with Sharla's love of math and support from her family to pursue her passion. I'm so thrilled to have Sharla here today to kick off the leadership stream of the Women Count podcast. Hi, Sharla, and welcome. Well, thank you so much, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. I know this is the first of your podcast, and that's such an honor. Thank you so much for making the time today to be here with us. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. We know that it takes a lot to create such a fantastic organization, so it takes a lot of dedication, so thank you so much. Of course, and with a lot of help, with a lot of great and dedicated people that help along the way, including Jane, yourself, so absolutely. Fantastic point, Charmaine. There's so much work that goes into developing a global organization like Women in Big Data, and I certainly want to cover that off. That's one of the questions I want to ask today, how Sharla manages to get everything done. But I thought we'd start the podcast with just talking a little bit about you and what drives you, Sharla, and what's led you to this. And then I wanted to get into Women in Big Data And I also want to talk about the the startup that you've developed. So let's start with you. Sharla, you've worked in the tech industry for most of your career. So you've had at least 30 years at Intel. What made you decide to start in the tech industry? Well, from the beginning, I was really interested in math. So I was good in math, really good in algebra, in middle school. And then for high school, I chose to go to math. And the other reason was, of course, my older brother, which was a math major in high school. So he sort of was my role model. I really, really had math, something that I was fascinated. So that was really the beginning of it from, I would say, the highest school that I chose to go to math. And then my oldest brother, he was the one that when I was finishing my math, he said, you know, what do you want to do? Which engineering field do you want to go? And computer science was talking about 30 some years ago. It wasn't, as you know it today, it was a different one. It wasn't really something that everyone would think about going to the computer science. And he was the one that to some extent said, why don't you consider computer science? It's different than other fields. You don't want to be civil engineers or mechanical engineer. Why not considering computer engineering field? And that's how I got introduced to the computer science. I studied that field. As simple as that, great mentors, role models, and those that actually helped me to get introduced to this. And none of them went to computer science. You're encouraged, first of all, at home to take that on. Exactly. That's really interesting. And what about at school? Did you get any pushback about 
a woman wanting to do math or were you encouraged in school as well? I don't think I was ever felt that I was held back. I can't say I was encouraged and it was more of, well, I'm one of those folks, you know, really the class that we had, it was, I would say maybe 10% woman, the rest, you know, male, you know, I did my study, my undergraduate, it was computer science. I actually graduated from school in California, in LA, and then for my graduate work, we moved to Oregon and that's where I spent most of my life. And I got my dual major, computer science and math at Oregon State University. I did my master's. And of course, I always wanted to, to continue with my education, to go to the, for my PhD and wanted to go to college. And I had my kids. When I was in my undergraduate, I had my son and it wasn't very easy. It was very interesting raising your family, your kid and being at school. And I remember even I had lab, so I had to go do my project in the lab and I would take him, he would sit on a computer and working on something. I would just make him busy so I can actually finish my project and get out of the lab. So when you were at university and had your child, did people embrace that well or was it something that was looked at as too strange assuming you were probably the only person or one of the a handful of people that were actually yes. doing that so yes. yes it was really really interesting because I was undergraduate when I had my kids and no one else in the class I finished high school I got married which was despite you know what my mother always advised us especially to girls that you got to go to school, you got to finish your education, you got to have your career, you have to be independent. She put a lot of pressure, but she gave us advice that you have to be on your own. And then you find the right person, get married afterwards. No, I got married right after high school. And then when I was going to college, by that time I was in US. So then I had my kid and of course I was the only one in the class with the kid. But you know, it's like being a mother. It, you know, for me, it was just, okay, this is the way it is. And others, it didn't bother them. I mean, they were had reservation. How would they approach me? How would they work with me? Because I had to run home. I had to go find a place so I can have the milk ready for my kid. And it was, it was a very interesting, you know, set you up for really good multitasking. Oh boy. Talk about multitasking. You know, something that I heard even recently, which it really resonates. I thought, oh my God. And they said, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy mother. You get to be so efficient and you can actually take on more. And you don't know how you're managing it, but you're doing it by, you know, being really efficient. And that's an interesting way of really looking at it. Women, you step up, you make it work, you get the job done. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what it seems is right from the very beginning, it's hard work, dedication, a lot of slog to get where you are and do your extended degree. So I wanted to talk about Women in Big Data. So you co-founded Women in Big Data in 2015. There was 15 members at that time. Now fast forward to 2021 Women in Big Data is an organization that has greater than 18,000 people globally with 41 chapters across six continents. It's an incredible achievement and it's all volunteer. 
So you've been able to motivate, you've been able to lead people to, I suppose, work together to get these outcomes, to have an organisation of this size supporting women. So let's start with what Women in Big Data does. And then I'd like to talk about how you've done this, what skills you've needed to to lead this type of organisation. So let's start with uh, what Women in Big Data does. Thank you for that. It's not a one-person show. It took a lot of efforts, of course, to get here. And we are so grateful to all the volunteers, along yourself, one of them, that's been really one of the leaders for this organization. So that we have been lucky. Really, you know, Women in Big Data, when we started it, it practically it was a question from my own general manager and my VP that he was looking at the organization and he was questioning why we have such a shortage of women in the organization. Really, really looking at something 8%, you know, female, technical female in the organization, given that Intel really was focusing on diversity and wanted to get more, you know, women, female under uh, URM, under representative other group into Intel. Then uh, we really, you know, focused on are the issue that we have, is this unique to Intel? And that was a specifically, we had a big data team at that time. Uh, and specifically looking at that, this is, this is a team, this is not necessarily very low level stuff. It's not server, it's not driver level, which I expected. We never had much female in those, you know, technical side of the work, but in a big data, it was a bit more higher level and you expected, you know, more maybe female to be there. We didn't have. And when we talked to several other companies in the Bay Area, and that's where we were looking at, because Intel headquarters is in Bay Area, it was the same issue. And we all decided that we really need to create a forum. And it was originally, it was really more of awareness. Let's just, you know, make the awareness that this, this is the growing field. Data is it. And for us, not being part of this, we're really disservicing the whole, you know, future of it. Because you have to have representation of the society to be part of, you know, really the data in order to make sense of it, in order to make something of it which really serves the entire, you know, society. So we could see the need for that one to invite more female to actually make the awareness of what is really at stake here. So really the four areas that we were focusing on was awareness, training, networking, and mentoring to really build, you know, what we needed in order to get more interest in the field and more women engage in that one and really help them to find opportunities. We only had one chapter in Bay Area and that chapter had all these four. But then when we started growing, we let the chapter decide what makes sense for their own local community. Are they more into just networking, just get together and have this safe environment that you learn about what goes on and, you know, have a whatever fun or I like that education. it's like custom yeah. making your own chapter you know to suit yes. the needs of the community really exactly yes, that's, that's what I, I really liked about when we started the chapter in Canberra that we had that freedom 
and we could yeah. work to meet our members' requirements. So, yeah, it was really, really effective for us. So we had those, and we always shared it with everyone. But we, we definitely, you know, let the chapter decide what is best for them. And I think maybe that contributed to some extent to growth of it. And people feel that they have, it's not that we dictate to them. We are here to actually share what we know, our best practices, what works in this, you know, for example, for us in Bay Area or this chapter in U.S. But it's up to you. It's not that everything has been glory always success no we had ups and downs we had chapters that they were a lot more successful and they are a lot more active than other chapters that they just disappear we had chapter in chicago and after a year they just decided that oh we want to pursue something else we lost our chapter director and with that one we lost the entire community unfortunately so there are things that we are now learning how to actually avoid those kind of you know situations we find some of the best chapters are those that they have a co-directors because at least they back each other and if one leaves there is always you know a backup and immediately try to find another co-director and they can share the load with each other this is all volunteers and you may be excited the first few months but after a while it the excitement may actually dis go away and the reality is you have your full-time job or you have some other obligation you have your family and this is going to be in addition so of course you always have to sacrifice something and what do you sacrifice okay i'm not going to do the volunteer anymore so you i know there is a burnout here if you share it with someone else the load it may actually be something that you can sustain it for a longer period you may go away and come back again be energized and that's what we like to actually moving forward to implement more of those because we have seen this success actually in one of our region south asia which includes india nepal pakistan many other you know chapter that we have all of those chapters have implemented the co-directors everything that they do they have two they have two program managers at the higher level so they sort of help all the chapters to be more consistent to connect with each other, to learn from each other. So it's a really interesting, and we that we started in US, we are learning from them because they brought something new to us that we didn't know we can make it better. So for us, it's always give and take. We give them something, they gave us something way better back. I'm hoping to make it scale better, make it even more, you know, sort of long lasting, and Scalable, keep other, other volunteers exactly, you know, be more interested. And of course, create better program. So the point about the organization being volunteer, I just wanted to touch on that point. And you raised a very important point that it is volunteer. People do have all sorts of other things. And when you're working, all sorts of pressures get in place and you have families. How do you lead a volunteer organization how do you keep the motivation of people up? And particularly during a period of COVID when there's extra stresses on people, what sort of skills do you think you need to be successful? And, and it, the organisation is highly successful, so you've done this well. So, you know, what is it that you think that has been really important qualities or characteristics that you have? I think being connected with everyone. 
it really takes a lot of efforts, but I think I generally stay in touch with everyone. I know we have chapters all over the place. I find time, doesn't matter if it is late at night or early in the morning or whatever it takes. I do actually ping people. I sort of, you know, try to see how they are doing. A lot of time I get connected in a very, it's not that I'm trying to just be connected to see how the work is going, but I truly care for everyone. And I want to see how they are doing in their life, in their, you know, work, uh, what goes on. Even during the COVID, it was even more important for me to, to make sure everyone is doing well and they are healthy. And the first thing is really taking care of themselves and their family. This can wait. So I never, you know, try to push anyone that they feel that they made commitment and they have to do it. No, it's really, you know, always, you know, thankful for whatever they can provide to you. And then stay engaged, listen to them. And if they need the time off, try to find a way of supporting them and really, you know, give them what they need. So to me, it's just listening and learning and helping and just be there for them. I think to me that was not just me, but I would say, Several others, the co-founders, they have the same attitude that they reach out and we take turn. It's not the same. The other thing true here, I'm not the only one. There are several others that we always work together. That's the first few that I would say, you know, Radhika, which is also from US and Tina Tang, you know, again from the US. And myself, the three of us that we started together, we are still together. And we all taking a piece of this puzzle and try to move it forward. Sharing but to me, staying connected mm. and, and really listening and being there is the key. Okay. And I appreciate it. And, and, and speaking from, from personal experience, and, and that's what I've experienced working with the team um, as a leader of a chapter. I know there's been times when I've been late delivering things and and I felt terrible that you know in work and family life and everything just got in the way but you were always able to chase me for it but you never made me feel bad <laughs> that I was like you, you're always patient always very respectful um, but also at times when I needed to do videos and whatnot for you if I gave you something that wasn't to standard you always asked me to do it again. And you were quite within your rights. You actually were absolutely correct that it needed to be redone. And I was really happy to do that and to do it again. And you made me feel part of the team. And, and I always wondered how you had the bandwidth, because I know I was one of many, and how you had the patience and how you were able to encourage me. So I always wanted to understand how you did that. Oh, I, you know, it goes back to that. I truly care. When I want to get something done, I really work hard at it. And I, I, I don't want to push anyone. This is how I was doing with my team, you know, all along, you know, the same way. That you have to be patient. You have to give space to everyone. But then you can... Find a way of getting what you need to. Uh, thank you so much for saying that, you know, Jane. It means a lot. It's not that we ever give up on any of this. Which to me, it's such a great way that we run this organization. Because we are not running it with one person. We are running it by all the great people that they truly care for the bigger organization. And we learn from each other. But, you know, it's all 
give and take, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm always, you know, successful to get everything that we need, but people have been really amazingly disciplined and wanted to, to chime in and wanted to be part of it. And most of the time we got it together. We, we really help each other to get what we need. So been lucky. Yeah, I can speak on behalf of the team in Australia. We've always felt connected and we've always felt part of the bigger organisations. So, uh, you know, it's been a fantastic experience for us to to have that engagement. So thank you for those thank skills. You. So what, what do you see the future of women in big data? Where would you like it to go? Oh, God, there are so much we want to do, seriously, because we had those Four that I mentioned with respect to our networking training and, you know, mentoring and awareness and those, we need to continue with all those. But we really need to provide solid programs. For example, we were, we are looking at really going about a scholarship, about a more sort of a structured training to lead to a certification. Now that we are a nonprofit organization, several of us, because not entire organization is not a nonprofit. Nonprofit is really country by country. So in US, we are a nonprofit. In Canada, we are nonprofit. In Nepal, we are nonprofit. In India, we are nonprofit. In South Africa, we are a nonprofit. But each of us are working, and that has really helped us to get sponsors and working with the sponsors that we get the funding that we need in order to get our infrastructures strong and you know, really support all the global, as we are doing our meetup or our Zoom, our website, everything that serves everyone that we cover with the funding that we have. But we, we are looking at much bigger, you know, sort of a program, like, you know, having, again, you know, going for a scholarship and funding, you know, this certification, you know, program, funding a more, we have these sort of a one hour or two hours or even half a day sort of a workshop or training. But we want to go for a summit, a summit, a global summit that we all, you know, part of this and we can really bring a lot more. We want to go after hackathon. We did an amazing hackathon with the university. I would here. love to do a hackathon. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, tell us what you want to do. We are all for it. We did a hackathon with the university here which was such a success with this school, which we're going to reflect it in our upcoming newsletter. But there are so much that we can do, but there were just a few that I mentioned to you. We want to go on really focus also on the underserved community. Of course, we are blessed. We have everything that we need. There are so many communities that they can benefit from those scholarships. They can benefit from those certificates. And we really need to also reach out to them. And we need to also look at the entire spectrum. I'm not too sure if we have made a huge progress with having women in the tech industry. It looks like we go a little up and then we go down again. So this is a continuous sort of a challenge that we all have. We're working with the universities. You know, we work with the Stanford, we work with USC, that we really need to also help them to make sure they stay in their education. They really, you know, uh, they understand what it is and what career path they have. We need to have more role models that they can see themselves to really grow into that. There is a lot we can do. But if I want to just at least say 
for concrete, you know, what we are doing. We are putting a lot more global and scalable mentoring program for next year. We are going to put, you know, a scholarship program together and we're going to put a certification program together. Well, data science is so, it's kind of like an international standard, you know, nothing changes in maths across continents. It's the same. So it makes sense that it'd be scalable. Yes. Exactly. With all the support we get and all the volunteers we have globally, we expect we, we would be, we reached that. So it sounds like the, the journey is continual. It's something that we need to continually keep working on, continually keep reinventing and keep thinking of exactly. new things to do. So it's a, yes. a job for life, Sharla. Yes. Yes, for all of us. Uh, there is no retirement here. We need to really, you know, drive it. And we love one of the things that we, we believe and we love to do is leadership skills. We want to bring others into the leadership. We're not trying to say, okay, I'm going to take this position and it's mine forever. No, I am more than happy to give something to someone. That's why we have this global executive committee. And people would come in and they do a couple of years, they move on and someone else come in. The same thing with our you know, director position, the same thing that we would like to really for those that they are doing sort of a committee work, they see that there is a path for growth for them and really would like to groom them. One of the successful, I would say, chapter we have is actually a university chapter. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to also in this podcast talk about your other role that you have, yes. which it seems also has a strong flavor of supporting women. So you've founded the startup Job Pairing. Would you like yes. to talk about that, please? Yes. Yes. Thank you for bringing that one up because exactly why we started, you know, this job pairing was the need that we saw. I was a working mom. Many of my colleagues, they were working mom. And I wish we had something like job sharing at that time that we can utilize because the whole promise of job sharing, which actually it is a lot more presence in Europe, even Australia, they talk about job sharing to some extent, but I see it a lot more in UK and some other you know, part of Europe. What is happening, we really, with job sharing, it's not like a part-time job. You know, I have had contractor, I have had part-time people in my organization, you don't treat them the same way as your full-time employee. So we had a different, we call full-time employee blue badge at Intel. And we have a contractor that they were green badge. And then, you know, we have a temporary one, which were they were, you know, green badge, for example. So the whole, you know, job sharing promise is that you take a full-time job and then you find the right pair, compatible pair, that they would actually apply for that full-time job. So it's at reduced hours for them. So they may work 60-60% better than, you know, working 40 hours, you may work 30 hours and the other one works 30 hours. It add up more than 100, you know, whatever that 40 hours week that you're talking about. It's really but good to identify those jobs in organizations because yes. like, that's, you know, that's kind of like a unicorn job. You never hear of them happening. But yeah, I've heard of job sharing, but not like right. the way you've described it. And wow. But the whole job sharing promise is to really keep your career work at the reduced hours. Because we don't, we're still going to be part of the team. You've got to really be 
taken serious. You are part of the strategy, you're part of the planning, you're part of everything. And it has to be very seamless. That's why we spend so much effort on really having this patent pending compatibility test that when you pair you know, two individuals, they go through this compatibility test in order to see how good they can work together. This person may work better with that X and Y, but then you know, may not work as good you know, with another pair. It's sort of interesting to see. They can share it with the employer if they want to apply for a job, but they don't have to. But it's for them to see how well they, they work with each other. And then if they would like to see that the score is such and such, they can share it with the employer. But the idea for behind it was really for the working mother. If I had that option, I would have been more than happy to cut my hours, but at least, you know, maybe 30% or so, so I can spend more time with my family. I didn't have that option, but then I was lucky that I get family support in order to continue with my full-time job. But some of my peers, they actually quit because they, they just didn't have any options, unfortunately. So the idea was to really help, you know, women that they, they need to cut their hours, but then keep their career. Uh, so I'm hoping that would really become be the case. So this, this is interesting, Charlotte. So you've seen a gap in the industry. Rather than talking about something, you've decided to do something about it. Right. Seems right. to be a continual exactly. theme through your life. Absolutely. Because you can't wait for others to do it for you. If you believe in something, you really you know, work on it yourself. I believe in it. I'm not saying this is going to be one of those that it's going to take over everything. No, but that's, that's a tool. That's what we need to get both sides, the employer side, to feel comfortable. Because this is not something that they feel comfortable. Oh, no, rather than one person, I have to deal with two people. On the other hand, they get two brains. They yes. get continuous support because if one of them, for any reason, they have to go on vacation, you always have someone else that's working, continue working on, on that. And if someone leaves, you have someone else to continue until you bring, you know, additional. There are so much goodness in it. I know there is an overhead, but that's what we are working with human resources. We have all sort of templates, tools, and capability that they, they all benefit from, but I see that this is taking off in Europe a lot more than right now in US. You can see the value of this, but unfortunately it's new. Right. So people are going to right. slowly adapt or, or be cautious because it's new. That's okay. That's how things start. And you know, actually the young generation, they're not working millennium and even younger generation, they're not working the same way that we used to work or we are still working like eight to five or whatever, you know, nine to five, whatever you call it. No, they want flexibility. This work-life balance is more important to them than maybe our generation. They want to work on multiple things. This would give them that opportunity. They can pair with someone, work on this, you know, line of business. They can pair with someone else and work on another, you know, business. So it's really give such an interesting working mothers or mothers or women one aspect of it. But if you look at the next generation, may actually take this one to the next level because the management are changing millennials are becoming the next you know leaders and that's how you see this kind of work-life balance to become more reality it's the the vision we've always had that hasn't happened but that work-life balance through a, a tool like this helped to to drive that yes yes exactly and sometimes really if you work 60 percent, you may actually 
the productivity could be as 100% because you become a lot more efficient in, in the work that you are doing. So there is a lot of studies being done mm. on how really you can benefit from it. But there is awareness with this, like anything else, anything new, and it will take time. But I'm very optimistic that we get there and we have the tool. I'm very excited about it and, and well, would like you. to yeah, wish you all the luck in the world with that. Oh, thank you. You don't need luck. Thank it's you. hard work that you put into it. So I okay. wish you all the best. But, thank um, you very much. So we have one final question before sure. we finish. And that question is, if you could go right back to when you started your career, when you're entering university, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have everything perfect in order to pursue what you need to do. You just take it day at a time. And if you believe in what you are doing, you get there. I truly believe in that. And don't let other people impose their opinion in what you need to do. Take that voice. It's your life. Live it the way that you want to live. When I was at USC, we were launching our chapter in university. I was talking to this student and she said she was in this master's degree data science program. And she said, I love the work that I am doing, but that was against all odds because my own mother said, this is for guys. You're not going to get anywhere with that. It's just incredible that she said, you know, even my own mother wasn't supporting me. And despite that, this is what I wanted to do. And I had to fight them. But I'm so happy. And then I followed her after that was about four years ago. And she is so successful. She is employed with amazing company. And she is such a successful person in what she is doing. I wish I would talk to the mom now and see what she would think of her daughter. If you want to do it, just go for it. Nothing would stop you. Thank you, Shara. It's such a fantastic word. I think those words describe how you've embraced life and how you've moved forward through life is you've seen a problem, you've addressed it, you've done something about it, and you've led with compassion and you've got the best out of people. And it's just an incredible story and it's something we can all learn from. So thank you so much for being here. It's just been fantastic and I look forward to continuing to work with you. Okay, thank you so much, Jane. Thank you for everything you have done. Seriously, I appreciate that. Oh, you're most welcome. Absolutely. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Women Count podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, please subscribe to the show and provide a star rating. Watch out for new episodes on leadership and data science. And if you want to connect with the tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womeninbigdata.org. Bye-bye for now.